You're listening to the Global Sales Leader Podcast. I am your host, Jason Cooper. This is episode 17. We're absolutely flying through these every week, every time that we uh, push through another podcast. It's all about insightful leaders in sales and business and so on and so forth. Uh, This is with Bill Flynn. This is another collected array of uh, speaker and I'm sure you're going to enjoy this one. Sit back, relax. If you want to hear more from me, please scroll down or up. You're going to hear a lot more from exciting leaders. Thank you. Hello, good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. And wherever you are in this wide, wonderful world, you are very welcome to the Global Sales Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cooper. I'm a sales strategist, sales coach. I inspire people to deliver better results through relationships that last for the longevity. Today, I have a wonderful guest, Bill Flynn. He's flown over the other side of the world to have us have a little chat with me today. And you're very welcome. So um, I'm very excited, as always, to speak with some interesting people, some people that have something different about them. So, uh, Bill, welcome. Uh, Thank you, Jason. Good to be here. I've definitely been called different, so I guess I fit the bill. Oh, good. Well, that's good. A little bit of a blurb about you. Bill has collaborated with Alan Mullally. Uh, If I pronounce that, uh, that sounds like a very Irish surname, which I can never pronounce. Uh, Pitch Steve Jobs, accomplished much failed and often learned many useful lessons from 30 years of studying the science of success. He's described pragmatic as the new Simon Sinek or Simon Sinek with with, uh, a different face, mouth and everything else like that. And uh, uh, Bill embodies his purpose, simplified by spending each moment to help create compassionately productive by enabling enlightened leaders to focus on a few things that truly matter. You have a wonderful book out as well, which we'll discuss in a little while. Uh, you're also catalystgrowthadvisors.com. And uh, uh, you've got lots of stuff on there, but I'm not going to read it and reel it all off because there's l- you're going to do that and not me. So, Bill, could you tell me, um, describe what you do and all of these sort of anchor points along the way to get to where you are today. Certainly. So uh, I help leaders take the guesswork out of growth, which is the subtitle of my book, which basically means I try to help um, people who lead teams and organizations to understand that for the most part, we've been taught how to do this wrong. And the data bears me out. Um, most businesses fail. Uh, you have a 50-50 chance of making it five years if you start a business. You have a less chance as you stay longer in business. So that's sort of my goal is to take the, you know, this is probably the last chapter of my life, so to speak. And I want to spend as much time as I can helping as many people as I can to understand that, that there's a better way to do this. Uh, it's actually easier and less stressful, but, you know, we, uh, we were not taught that. Uh, so... Yeah. Um, what got me here is kind of there are two arcs to my career, if you will, or to my, my work life is I did startups forever. I did startups from the early nineties through to 2015. I had 10 of them all here in the Boston area. Uh, and the track record was pretty good. Five for 10 or five for seven, depending on how you count my contribution to a few of them. 
Um, but either way, both pretty good numbers, uh, considering most business, most startups fail. There's like a 10% um, uh, rate. And then about five years ago, give or take, I started my own coaching organization. I asked myself, do I want to do an 11 startup or do I want to try something else? And uh, I'd love to do an 11 startup. I love startups. They're fun. Uh, I love the whole clean sheet of paper and trying to figure something out. But I had this uh, I had this experience um, between startup five and six where I basically became a coach and and uh, and really enjoyed that. I didn't know I was a coach at the time. I wasn't smart enough to know that that that's what I was doing. <laughs> um, and I employed a system uh, that, that as well. And again, I wasn't smart enough to know there were lots of systems to choose from. Mm -hmm. I made up my own because uh, you know I was I was ignorant. Um, and it worked great, and I wanted more of that. So uh, I've been doing that for five years, and now I know what a calling is. Uh, you know, a calling is when you do it for free. And yeah. I, I will, and I do do it for free. I still get paid. I'm, even though I'm five for 10 in startups, I'm not independently wealthy. I still have to work for a living. Yeah, um, yeah. But I've done really well, uh, you know, live in a nice town in, out here in Massachusetts, and my daughter went to private school and all that kind of stuff. I, I have a one percenter kind of life, which is nice. Um, but I would do it anyway. This is so much fun. Yeah, there's a thing in life called passion. Mm -hmm. And exactly what you just said there is um, uh, there's certain moments in your life that you just find it uh, uh, or it follows you. And all of a sudden you go, this is exactly what I wanted to be doing all of my life. Why didn't I find out about this earlier? So that, that obviously relates to yourself. And I totally concur with you because I've, I've been involved with several startups as well. Some of them have failed miserably and some of them have actually gone on to be okay. But, you know, it's, it's that buzz and that excitement. So finding your purpose and finding your passion, how did you find that? What, what happened along the way? Well, uh, I think, uh, so I, I'm also a neuroscience geek and uh, generally Lovely. most, the, you know, there's, there's this guy, Cal Newport, who talks about, you know, don't follow your passion figure out what you're good at. And generally that's your passion. Yep. Uh, and, and whatever he studied, and he's written a couple of books on it and he's written deep work and some other things as well. Uh, and I think he's onto something because uh, I was at least aware enough to recognize, you know, when, when I mentioned that earlier between start of five and six, mm -hmm. that I wanted more of that. That was, that was cool. Um, it wasn't exactly what I was doing. And then I, I sort of sought out how, how would I be able to do that? How would I be able to manifest that? And, and I was a little um, trepidatious because I was never a CEO, really. Um, mm -hmm. I was a GM. I'm a CEO now, but I'm a CEO of one, so I don't really count that. <laughs> no, that's all. Okay. You still count that one. Yeah, I, I can have the title. Um, <clears throat> but uh, uh, so I sought it out. And then as I got to doing it, uh, I just found that once I get in front of clients and 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 was able to sort of share what I've found out, the good stuff and the bad stuff, right? I've, I've made a ton of mistakes, uh, so, so I'm happy to share that. Yep. Um, and I've always been sort of Socratic in my approach to things. And I think that really helps being a coach because uh, every now and again, of course, I will slip into the consultant, right, or the advisor. Yep. But I'm very deliberate. I say, look, right now I'm, I'm taking off my coach hat and I'm, and I'm going to tell you what I've experienced. And, and so you can add it to the mix because it hasn't come up in the conversation. Yeah, um, yeah. But mostly I'm just asking questions and trying to pull out from them what they, I believe they already know how to do. I, you know, I, there's this guy, Alan Fine, he wrote a book called You Already Know How to Be Great. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. We just get in our own way. So my job is to just sort of get rid of all the crap that's getting in your way. Because um, my, my favorite saying, and I, I say it all the time, is few things truly matter but those that do matter tremendously. 
And my job is to help you figure out what are those few things that really matter to your most important constituencies, your employees or your team members and your customers. Mm -hmm. We don't spend enough time in those areas. We're too busy doing yeah. and we're not spending enough time thinking. So I, th I think we all need to have a coach and uh, including myself. I'm a coach. I'm a certified coach. I'm a certified trainer. Uh, I, I work in the area of sales and business growth. But I believe that I need a coach as well. I need a mentor. I've, I've got a couple that I work with. But the only way that, because we don't know it all, if yeah. we did, we'd be up there flowing around with a big uh, beard and calling ourselves God. <laughs> I know, sorry, you have a beard there, don't you? You're most there. So. <laughs> but, you know, it does take a little bit of time. But asking great, wonderful questions uh, and finding out the purpose of others is a skill because again uh you need someone to quiz it out of us and ask yeah. us the right questions so yeah. uh you've obviously done a, a great job there so um i'm always intrigued about um your methodology so tell me a little bit about that because uh or your approach yeah so um how i work with my clients um and so this is a sales thing so i'll start from maybe pre-acquisition okay so what i did is um and i've been a, i've been as vp of sales eight times and a head of marketing twice so i've got a lot of experience i've built multiple teams from nothing often i was the first salesperson in many of these startups as well um so i i apply that to to here and i and, and the first thing i think if, the way to make thing everything easier in sales is to really understand why people buy from you and then how to recognize them great um and figure out the process to do that because it's hard so mm -hmm. what I figured out for me was that the best client is a CEO or a head of company or business owner, whatever, the head of something, because mm -hmm. the, the head of the organization hires and fires me. I, I work with the whole team, but yep. the head of the organization hires and fires me. Is They need to be humble. They need to be a learner. And they need to be comfortable challenging the status quo on a regular basis. Yeah. And yeah. once I understood that, then I said, where do those people hang out? So I became a Vistage speaker. I work with some organizations that that sort of are purpose-driven organizations or mission-driven organizations. <clears throat> so these, that's where they hang out. And of course, as you do it more, your, your existing customers um, give you stuff. I've also found partners that, that have done that as well. Um, and then, but I don't take on any client. I pick my clients. Um, and it sounds great now because my business is much better than it was, but you know, two and a half years ago, <laughs> It was, I was a struggle because I started from nothing. I had no clients. I didn't even know really what I was doing. I didn't really have a methodology. I just sort of had a, I have experience, but taking what you know and turning it into something that people can understand is, is difficult. Yeah. Um, so I, um, uh, I had no money. I basically had no clients for a year, year and a half. And it was, you know, um, my lifestyle didn't change. So it was just all money going out. Um, but so what I do is I, I bring the CEO or the, or the head of the company through a process. I do bring them through three steps to make sure that I'm finding out if they're humble, if they're learners, uh, to the best that I can. Because mm -hmm. you're really trying to get inside their head. Absolutely. Um, I don't care what business they're in. As long as they can afford me, I can help anyone who's open to it. Um, so so that was my process. And I've, I've either re rejected or fired as many people as I've brought on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really paid off because my clients stay with me for years. Um, my my oldest client pre-COVID was four years. They they were in wow. the study abroad industry and they got hammered. So they had to lay off 90 percent 
of their um, workforce and said, look, we can't afford to pay you. And I said, don't worry about it. You know, you guys are great and let's just keep talking. You know, they were, they were just in, you know, wartime mode, you know, and, and really struggling, but I've spoken to them a few times. Uh, so that's sort of um, my process. And then what I do is I teach them a growth framework. Once they come on, I teach them the growth framework, which is basically thinking of the business as one big system made up of multiple smaller systems, sort of mm -hmm. like a house, right? A house is really one big system. And especially in terms of uh, the envelope, uh, in terms of keeping the, the cool air or the hot air in or, in or out, it's mm -hmm. very similar. There are multiple components that are part of it. And depending on um, what you're good at, et cetera, it can make up for what you're not good at in other areas. So the six systems, um, uh, there's actually seven, but the main six systems are a cultural system. So, you know, what we all talk about, right? Purpose, values, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then there's uh, the leadership system, which is really the senior leadership team and getting them to be cohesive and be able to fight mm -hmm. in a way. Then there's the talent system, which is about really A players or B plus players, getting as many of those people as you as you can, because they're the best investment you'll ever make in your business. Absolutely. They're three times more productive than everyone else, and you don't pay them anywhere near that, uh, that mm -hmm. rate. Um, and then there's strategy, execution, and cash. And, and those are the six main systems. And then uh, I also do what I call a foundational system, which is about the leader uh, really creating a vision and making sure that it's very clear and vivid. Uh, and then having a change in decision-making framework that you use on all your key decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, and then what I call neural leadership, uh, which is really understanding that everyone's crazy. We're all crazy. Uh, yep. We're all highly impulsive, irrational, emotional beings. Absolutely. And you need to understand that as a leader. Uh, and and you're, you're also the same. And I think what happens if you really get that, you become much more compassionate because uh, you realize that our brain is working against us a lot more than it's working for us because it thinks it's somewhere else. Right. It's in the dark silence, you know, and it's the last upgrade it had was between 10 and 50,000 years ago when we were barely clothed and walking around on grasses. Um, it doesn't understand all this stuff. And so uh, it's acting as if it's there, which is mostly in survival mode. Yep. And we make bad decisions because we, we, we put our brains into threat, we, especially we put those of others into threat without even knowing we're doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what I teach at a high level. It goes in a lot more depth than could take me, I've done it in four hours before. So it could take, and then, so it can go a long way, but that's the the nuts and bolts of it. And a lot of it's in my book. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand uh, where you're coming from because I've studied uh, neural leadership, uh, neuro-linguistic programming and psychology, and I love neuroscience. So I completely understand our, our minds are in constant fight, flight or freeze mode, all the time uh, and we're constantly fluctuating between the two then our neurochemicals in in, in our brains cortisol dopamine and uh, dolphins and all of the other things that, that are flying around yeah all those things in, yeah. in our head uh, all the time so we tr uh, how we engage and how we trust people and, and sometimes how uh the the threat and uh, the the other things comes in the cortisol's freezes up and we 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 sometimes make irrational choices um but we, we all make irrational choices yeah we often make <laughs> so it's good to really sort of simplify this process and help people one actually understand this so how do you actually engage people when you're first doing this uh 
and you're speaking to a client, because I, I know for myself, I know what it's like, uh, because you you explain this, this is neural leadership. This is how, how would you do that? How, putting myself into your shoes here. Uh, so I explained to them at a very high level, the basics of uh, your brain really has two main jobs <clears throat> and, and each of them supports the other. The, the main job is to assess threat or reward. Our brain, mm -hmm. supposedly there's research that says every, five times every second, our brain is saying friend or foe, safe or not, threat or reward. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so that's what it's doing on a regular basis. Uh, so the story I tell to sort of, epitomize that for people is one that either we have experienced ourselves or we inadvertently did ourselves, which is so, and I'll do it with you. So imagine you and I are in a meeting and I'm running the meeting and you're my boss yep. and the meeting ends and you're thinking, you know, uh, that Bill needs some help. So what you do is you get up and you tap me on the shoulder and say, I have some things I want to talk to you about, Bill, about this meeting. Can you follow me back to my office? Mm -hmm. What happens? Your heart. My brain, yeah, my heart goes because your brain is saying threat. Yep. And, and when it knows threat, the reason your heart starts to beat is because it's moving blood to your yeah. to your limbs, so you can get the hell out. Yep. Right. Run away is what it's telling you. You'll start sweating because it's you know it's it's working really hard. There's all these things going on, and you're in this fight, flight, or freeze mode. Um, and it gets worse because now I'm following you back to your office, right? In the 20 feet or the 50 feet or the whatever it is or the oh the elevator ride. I am now catastrophizing because that's what my brain is doing is yeah, no yeah. guy. What are all the things that could go bad? Let's avoid those. So I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? One of my, one of my friends and peers going to think of me now that I'm being you know, sort of sent to the principal's office. And yeah. um, am I going to get fired? If I get fired, then what's going to happen? The kids can't go to college. I'm going to have to sell the house and have great vacation. We're going, I mean, so I'm doing all these things. So by the time I get to your office, my brain is completely in fret mode. And yeah. no matter what you tell me, I'm not listening. I'm not really listening. Uh, so even if you tell me good things, it's just not something, if you ask me 10 minutes later, I probably don't remember anything in the conversation. Now, what you could have done, which is different, which is you could have said the same thing. You could have sat down next to me and said, hey, Bill, that was a pretty good meeting. How do you think it went? And I'm like, yeah, it went pretty good, you know, et cetera. He says, you know what? As you know, one of our core values is Kaizen, continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. And what I'd like to do is I'd like you to put something on my calendar, lunch or coffee or something, and let's talk about this meeting. I'd like you to bring two or three things that you thought went really, really well in the meeting. And yeah, we should yeah. do more of or keep doing. Maybe one or two things that now that you think on it could have gone better. I will do the same thing. And then you and I are going to meet every week after this meeting until we agree that this is, this is about as good as this meeting is going to get. Yeah, yeah, agree. Same thing, but now... My status isn't affected. My certainty isn't affected. My autonomy, my relatedness, and my fairness are not affected, right? I have I have put you into, at least I haven't put you into threat. Maybe I haven't put you into reward, but at least I've left you in this state where you're not in threat. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what I that's what I teach them. So how how as uh, sort of leaders, because uh, you you spoke about uh, you touched on communication there. How can leaders now? be a little bit more effective of what they do because now we're at home our heads are going into overdrive anyway because we're stuck in four walls and we're not seeing our peers as as much as we ever used to I'm, I'm not sure what it's like where you are but we're in level five lockdown here 
I'm not sure when we're going to go down, maybe in the next month. Right. So how are, how do you think the best way of, of communicating a little bit more effectively? So um, uh, COVID is different than, than if this weren't a health threat, right? Yeah. So there's that, you know, so first you have to make sure that you understand that everyone is, uh, COVID is like the future. It's everywhere, but it's, it's affecting everyone differently, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the people are in three general threat modes, either just general threat mode, which is what we're always in, which is we all yeah. know that life is not guaranteed. You could get hit by a bus or yeah. your heart could go out. So it's always general, a general level of that, but we can live with that because it's yeah. normalized. Yeah. But then there's sort of the threat in the neighborhood, maybe friends of yours got sick or died or family members. So even though it's not with you, it's still there. And that's sort of a yellow threat, if you will. And then there's red, which is, you know, someone in my household has it or, you know, whatever that is, whatever, whatever your thing is, all of your, all of your uh, team members are thinking differently about this. So you have to understand that and really understand what each of them is in terms of that. Um, so putting that aside in general, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, there are a lot of studies out there that talk about, um, we just, as human beings, we're not much different than when we were children, even though we're adults. We want attention. Of course. Uh, and by the way, we will we would rather have negative attention than no attention. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you want positive attention and useful attention. So, what you want to do is you want to create as much of an environment where you're where you're providing attention because you're an authority figure. Uh, you're checking in with them, making checking on their family, and you know, and being compassionate and thoughtful about you know what's going on in their lives. But also, you want to give them. For many people, they're not in control. Mm -hmm. So give them something that's con that they can control, but it also has to be meaningful to them. Yeah. Right. So if you can give them something that contributes to a purpose larger than themselves, and they have control over it, then that will at least start to tamp down this constant threat they're in, you know, you're certainly not going to solve all their problems and that kind of stuff. Uh, but, it, but it helps a little bit. Obviously people are fearful, uh, maybe less so now because we're, you know, a year in and if it hasn't happened by now, it probably won't happen, you know, but early yeah. on people were like, am, am I going to, is a business going to stay in business? Am I going to keep my job? I mean, there were all mm -hmm. these other threats as well. Um, so I would make sure that you, you set up an environment where they have, you're paying attention to them. Uh, and you're creating a, an ability for them to connect with themselves or with other people whenever you can. Mm -hmm. You know, you can do. We have all these virtual cocktails, and you know, just hang out. And maybe you can, you can, uh, you know. Uh, I know Dory was on here. I went to a virtual cocktail party with her, and she and Alyssa Cohn had a very specific thing. It was an hour and a half long. There were seven or eight of us, and mm -hmm. you know, we all talked about each other. And there was a question we had to answer, and we got to know each other. And I've made a couple of friends from that cocktail, yeah. right? And, and I'm following. Yeah. So it's what's so nice. You can do the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I like I like the idea um, of you know obviously we're on Zoom a lot but try to be on Zoom as little as possible but create maybe there's an open channel maybe there are two or three hours each day where everyone just gets on Zoom but you're not having a meeting yeah you're just yeah. doing your job and then you just look up and say hey you know Jason um, can can you answer this question for me what was that thing that we talked about last week you know just so there's at least a feel that you're looking over the cube or you're doing whatever it is so you sort of feel like you're connected. Mm -hmm. Any way you can do that, I think, is is helpful to your team, because uh, you're just trying to minimize this threat that is that is everywhere, um, as much as possible. So that would be that would be what what I would recommend that people try to do.
Awesome. Like this is the Global Sales Leader podcast and we're pushing this out throughout the world to give some really good golden nuggets of knowledge, uh, advice, information. Uh, so what do you reckon is uh, a really great strategy for sales leaders right now to engage with their staff to really motivate them to go out there and smash their targets and whatever else? Uh, yeah. Because I'm big into sort of getting people motivated, getting people out there, but I'm also big into building long-term relationships right. with with your peers, but also the staff to get them moving forward. Uh, so, uh, yeah, always interesting in other people's points of view as well. Sure. So uh, I'm, I'm always been a bit of an iconoclast. So I, I don't I don't think you can motivate anyone. Mm-hmm. A motivation is an intrinsic is an intrinsic thing. So you have to create the conditions for motivation, so yep. people can then feel like they you know they're they're energized, right? Mm-hmm. So the first thing I always do, you know, as 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 a, as a I've been a global sales leader a few times, um, and I've studied, you know, what is what is really your job as a global sales leader? What what really when you're doing your job well, what things have you done? And I found that it's really three things that you do really well when you're a global sales leader. One is you hire really well. Yep. Is you really figure out who the best kind of people are for whatever it is you're selling. So for a startup, I always looked for three things, which was I looked for someone who was highly curious. Yep. Uh, and I sort of weave that into my interview and, and other things. Um, I also wanted people who are compassionate. And to me, compassion is empathy with action. Right. Yep. They, they can do their best to try to figure out what's going on with the other person. And they're they're driven to do something about it, because you can have empathy. But all of, you know, if you come to me and say, oh, "I had a bad day," or whatever, I say, "Oh, that's terrible. I'm sorry to hear that. I mm-hmm. I totally understand what you're doing. Here's my experience, so I know what you're doing, and, and that's it. That doesn't do anything for you. If you're in sales, <laughs> then maybe you made a friend, but they didn't buy anything from you, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the lastly is is I sort of say it as driven, but it's really they have to be entrepreneurial. And what I mean by that is. They have to understand, especially in a startup, that they should treat their territory or whatever this thing is they have, their patch, as their own business. Absolutely. And I, I created an, an interview process that tried to figure that out. Really hard to do, right, in an hour, mm-hmm. two hours or whatever. Um, but once I once I, I was not a good hire of, of salespeople for a while, and then I kept asking, why is that? And mm-hmm. and so so I dug dug in for those things. So you hire really well. Um, you can teach them how to sell your product. Uh, so what I did with startup guys is I said, I'm not going to interview anyone unless they've been number one or number two at a previous organization at least twice. Yep. I, just, I said, don't give me any resumes unless they're there. Because I can't afford to also teach them how to sell. They, whatever their style is, you know, whether they learned Sandler or Radar or whatever thing that they, yeah, yeah, yeah. they did, I don't care. I, as I said, I only have two rules as a sales leader. Be honest, be responsible. Yep. You can make a million calls or 10 calls. As long as you make your number, you know, we can argue whether your number is fair. That's, I'm happy to have that conversation. But once we're on it, you got to figure out how to make the number. That's totally up to you. Um, so so, I, so, so that you got to hire well. The next thing is you do have to train and train and train and train. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, and not just you, you know, figure out ways for them to help each other and create this environment where they're always learning from each other. Mm-hmm. Most sales leaders inadvertently create silos of salespeople who don't want to help each other because they think that other person's a competitor. Yeah. You have to understand it's a rising tide methodology and approach that you should have. Uh, and then if everyone gets better at what they do from learning from other people, absolutely, 
the, the team will be better. And the last thing is capacity. You need to understand how to build capacity. So if you know that you know your average salesperson brings in $2 million a year and it takes uh, three months to train them, it takes three months to hire them, and then they're at quota in nine months. Okay, great. Now you know how to build capacity, right? Hire really well, but you got to hire in front of it. You got to go through the process. Um, and if the if the CEO or, or the team decides we have to have this much in revenue, you have to figure out, okay, how do I do that? I have this many people. I need this many more, et cetera. Yep. There's other stuff you can pull the levers of conversion rate and size of deal and work with marketing. Um, that's harder to do. So you have control over those things, hiring, training, and building capacity. You have complete control over that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and yes, I would absolutely work with marketing. I'm a big fan of stop solving the problem that's in front of you to solve the problem that's causing the problem that's in front of you. And yeah. keep, keep doing that. Keep going back. Eventually, you'll figure out how to how to find the best customer, what to say to them, what they care about, etc. It'll make sales so much easier. Yeah, but we don't yeah. do that. We we generally try to solve in the middle. With I just need to hire a lot of people. I need to I need to tell them to get out there and make the calls and whatever. And I think that's not motivating. You know, no. if you if you if you work with someone and you find you tell them how to make it really easy to sell, they're motivated. Because yeah. salespeople are like water. They're just going to find the easiest way to get to their number. And that's the way our brains work. Uh, yep. is our brains wants to find the easiest path. Exactly. Uh, we're lazy. We're lazy. Um, uh, that's the way that our brains and conditions. And I do like the, the, the approach is we learn off each other. Because if, if you're making uh, the number, what are you doing to do that? I want to find that out. And, you know, in the big organizations, I'm going to uh, mention HubSpot. I went down there. Uh, they're based in Dublin. They've got a, a big organization. But what they do once a week is they share around that they have a meeting, but it's it's they share best common practice. And then they have a central base where they write down, this is what I did this week. Come and, come and have a coffee with me and find out how I've done it. And then they become a coach and they teach others the way – this is what works and i think that coachable mindset that uh not the fixed mindset which is the carol dwork uh the open mindset yeah, where cool. everyone's open to learn and everyone's open to sort of feed off each other and having that continuous training is absolutely awesome and you mentioned the power of three uh, so linguistically when you influence and persuade people in whichever area of uh communication or what you've done is absolutely incredible. So, yeah, I, I like that framework because that works for me as well. I, I, I That sits in. Do you have any other golden nuggets that you can for share? For whom? I have lots of them. Which, where do you want me to go? <laughs> oh, which one, whichever one. Because uh, I want to make sure that everyone that listens to this takes one thing out of it. If they take a whole flurry of uh, knowledge, then we've both done our job. Tell me, tell me who your audience, your main audience is. What do they do? Uh, well, my main audience is they're an eclectic array of uh, different types. They're entrepreneurs, uh, they're salespeople, they're sales professionals, they're sales leaders. They want to make an impact. They want to make a difference in the work and, that they do, but they want to communicate a little bit more effectively with their clients or to build better relationships with their, 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 their business, their, their internal stakeholders or whatever it might be. Sure. So, um, uh, so the way I the way I look at the, the world of business, I look at it in terms of functions. And in most businesses, there are four key functions. Uh, there is the marketing function, yep. which is getting people interested enough 
to want yeah. to engage with a salesperson, which is the next function, selling or yeah. sales. Then there's some sort of operations function, delivering whatever it is, implementing, building. You can say there's manufacturing as part of there, but that big, and then there's finance, which is, okay, you have to get paid for this thing. Those are the four main functions of most businesses. And that's usually in what's called a cash conversion cycle, you know, and, and you want to see how long that is. Um, so if I'm working mostly with the sales function, uh -huh. uh, you, there's one book that I think is, is magic. Uh, and it took this guy 20 years to write it. Uh, and he finally did. Uh, it's called The Man's Side Sales 101. His name is Bob Mesta. Uh, and he tells you over 30 years of doing this. So he's one of the progenitors of Jobs to be Done. Uh, he worked with Clayton Christensen in the 80s and 90s to get the thing going. And, mm -hmm. and has been he's, he's helped 3,500 products, including Casper Mattress, Snickers, a number of others. He's a, a lot of yeah. things. That, um, and what he basically understood is that people don't care what you do. They only care what you what you do does for them. Yeah. And if you as a salesperson can can figure that out and then obviously go and try to figure that out with your client, but I will tell you most of the time the marketing people don't know it either. And then you need to feed that back to them and saying, "Here's what I'm hearing out in the marketplace, right?" Um is and, and the best example I've ever given, and which I think really illustrates it, and most people understand it, is Waze, right? So, so I'm I'm in my mid fifties, and and I've been in the internet since 1995. So pretty yeah. early on, you know, the World Wide Web was born in '94. Yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, and there was this map which was great. It was called MapQuest, and they had a great map. And then Google made a better map, but. Google just made a better map, but they didn't ask, why do people use maps? And one of the jobs that we hire maps to do for us is to get from point A to point B on time. Uh -huh. And that's what I think the guys at Waze asked that question. And they said, well, how can we build something that solves that problem for them? Uh -huh. uh, and, you know, and obviously it was 2000, whatever it was, 12 or 13, whatever you know, it was, seven or eight, eight, nine years ago when they first started. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so they said, oh, we got gyroscopes and accelerometers and all this stuff. And, and we have phones and we got all this social stuff. So they said, oh, what we should do is create this thing that is real time. Because I don't know if you had a commute, but when you use Google Maps or anything, it was always, I used to have to commute into Cambridge or Boston, which is a horrible yeah. commute. Um, and you get this information and you'd be like, okay, do this. And then it's completely wrong when you get there because it's 20 minutes behind. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, much yeah. can happen in 20 minutes. Right. So I'd be sometimes late for work for like 20, 30 minutes. Cause you know, I follow a thing where ways, you know, it, it's, it's, instantaneous, isn't it? it's amazing. It's, and it keeps you updated. It changes your route on, 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 on thing. And I, I've only had it steer me wrong twice. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> And I and I commuted for years and years and years, and I would it would save me 10, 20 minutes every day because it would move me around. And mm -hmm. and Google bought them for over a billion dollars five years in. You know, they were, I don't even know how much money. I don't think they were making more than you know, maybe a million dollars, a few million dollars, and they bought them for 1.3 or 1.6 or some huge amount of money because they figured out what is the struggle, what is what kind of progress are people who are buying maps trying to make. Yeah, and that's your job. You're in a unique position as a salesperson. You're in front of these people, and you can ask them these kinds of questions. Um, it's not the perfect thing because they're always wondering, 
what you're trying to manipulate them to say so you yeah, can. Yeah, yeah. But if you're good at it, and I got pretty good at it, um, they will tell you stuff that that is really useful, uh, and it might just be a change of messaging. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so that would be my that would be my other nugget is really and buy that book, read that book. It's got super good stories in it. It's I don't know if you've read it yourself. No, I haven't actually, because I thought you was going to say it, Napoleon Hill, Think Rich, Grow Rich, because you no. were starting to go and I was going, I know what you're going to do, but no, I, 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 I'll no, I read that. That's that's fine. Place. No, this Bob wrote a practical book. He took thirty, he took thirty years and thirty five hundred products and wrote a beautiful book that tells you how to do it. It's not just a one of these wave your hands. I, mean, I love yeah. Simon Sinek, but he doesn't actually give you anything practical to do. He's yeah. just like, yeah, hey, yeah. you should know this. Good luck to you. Yeah, um, see ya. Yeah, 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 you know, which is great. We have to at least have awareness of it. Um, but I, I love Bob. Um, and that's what my book is. My book is about doing stuff, right? I, I mm-hmm. give all these stories, but then I have 25 exercises that go with my book. So you can read read a chapter and then go to my website and download the thing. And I give you instructions. And, you know, you won't do it as fast as if you hired a coach. Yep. Um, and it's not everything you could do, but I, it's these few things that I think really matter that will get you the furthest, the fastest. That's the name of the book. Awesome. So a question I'm going to ask is, uh, what is your creative space? So if you had a place that you just sat down and go, bang, got some ideas here, what, how do you use it? Uh, so I think anyone's creative space is where you are allowing your brain to relax. Um, you know, again, neuroscience, uh, there's something called weak signals or the edge effect, which mm-hmm. is where the best ideas come from. And it's because you've allowed your brain to relax. And most people get their best ideas running or in the shower or whatever. So whatever that space is, um, for me, it's actually in this room. Uh, I love this room. Uh, I live, so I live in, I just outside of Boston in a very historic part of the country, right? Concord mm-hmm. and Lexington are a few miles away from me. And if you can see the paneling behind me, there's a, an inn called the Wayside Inn, which isn't quite as famous as the Colonial Inn, which is in Concord. Yeah. which is where, you know, George Washington slept and some of the Patriots slept, you know, during, during the Revolutionary War. Um, and the paneling is, is, is a replica of what is there. And I have a beautiful fireplace here. So in the winter, you know, it's just a wonderful space. It's very calming. So this is where I do, you know, I, I take naps here, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's my space um, where most of the stuff that I think of comes to me. But what I've also done is I've, I've been, since I've learned a lot about neuroscience is, I found that when something comes to me, no matter where I am, I stop. I'm like, okay, this is something I, you know, and, and let's work on this for whatever's going on. If I come on a zoom call and something happens, I just turn off my camera and, yeah. you know, whenever I can, or I've been at a conference where, you know, like the speaker said something and I'm like, Oh, and something popped in my head. I just tuned him out and started writing. Uh, and, uh, you know, so to me is recognize when it happens, when you get the insight and, and take that time to at least record it. Uh, you might want to come back to it later and refresh it and, and, and replenish it a little bit or, 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 or expand upon it. But that's, that's what I would say about creative space. So physically it's generally this room, but it, I don't yeah. think it has to be. It can be anywhere. I, I, I'm the same. I, I go out running and, or go cycling and I come up with, bang I've, I've got a really good idea and i'm running along said so, uh, i have to get my phone out of my pocket and i have to record it or i send myself an email yeah. so i remember it later so i've got it in my head leave yourself a voicemail message whatever it is yeah. right because your brain doesn't what will happen is it'll distract you right you have to get that out because your brain doesn't like it likes closure and yeah. if you 
if you don't do that, then um, it's either going to, uh, you won't remember it or you won't, uh, it, it'll, it'll distract you throughout the day. You know, I always say, if you get a great idea, just write it down and go back to what you were doing. Yeah. And then also it plants a seed to your, to your brain and that in, in the background without you knowing it, it starts to work on the problem. That's right. That's why the best time to uh, write stuff down is or read is at night because yes. if you plan at night, I, I use a planner and I write my day ahead and that's it sitting in the subconscious. I'm thinking about it overnight. Exactly. So throwing you back a question and distracting yeah. you completely. Uh, if you had a superpower for five minutes, and you had a magic pill and all of a sudden you went bang. What, what would it be and how do you utilize it? Selfish or unselfish? Yeah, so uh, so my purpose in life now is to help enlightened leaders to make a difference, right? I wanna change the slope of that curve that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. So to mine is, I would like, to, I don't know if it's mind control or whatever, I would want the ability to take the stuff that I've learned, at least the most important stuff and feed it to all the leaders in the world. And help mm -hmm. them understand that there's a better way to do this. It's easier on you. It's better for your for your for your employees. It's better for your customers. Um, you know, most of our adult lives are spent at work, and most yeah. of us are miserable at work. And that's unfortunate. So let's change that. Not only will you make your business better, but you'll make the lives of the people that work for you better. You'll make the lives of the people who who live with them. I think it has this huge rippling effect. So that would be the thing is I would want to say if somehow if I can distill everything into mind in five minutes and, and just jump it in, you know, download it into everybody and have them go, oh, that's now I get it. Right. And and then they start doing that because um, this isn't me. I've studied business for 30 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm not telling you this is how Bill does it. I'm telling you this is how Alan Mulally does it, how Bob Chapman does it, how Steve Jobs does has done it, Curb Kelleher. I've studied dozens, if not hundreds of leaders and found the ones that consistently were good. And yeah. they do the same few things really, really well. And it's not any different from leader to leader. They do it in a different style. Yeah. Um, and that's my book. That's why Further Faster, right? Vital Few Steps is just the, the, the name for the Pareto Principle. It's the law of the vital few is the Pareto Principle, which is the 80-20 rule. Yep. Yeah. They're all the same thing. Yeah. Uh, to me, live your life 80-20. What is it? Your, your best customers are 16 times more valuable to you than your regular customers. Yep. Get more of those. Sell more Absolutely. stuff to them. Absolutely. So thanks so much. Uh, today, you've been listening to the Global Sales Leader. Um, just a little plug to your website, uh, if you want to say what it is. Sure. Uh, all my stuff is there. My book, you can download my book for free. I'm about the message, not the money. But hey, if you want to get me four or five bucks you know, from Amazon or Audible, great. But you can download it from my site for free. And 500 people or so have bought it or downloaded it, which is great. I'm pretty psyched about that. Um, it's called catalystgrowthadvisors.com. My contact info is there. A lot of exercises are on there. And I have a book list of all the things I've read. I've read hundreds of books over the last four or five years. And I've given the best hundred by category. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of stuff on there. So please use it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, you've listened to the Global Sales Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cooper, and I've had Bill Flynn today giving some wonderful ideas, some wonderful golden nuggets to feed forward to enrich your life and help you learn and grow because this is what it's all about, learning and growing and to develop yourself to be more exceptional at what you do. Thank you once again, Bill. Thanks a lot, Jason. Really appreciate it. It was fun. 
Thanks for listening to this wonderful episode of the Global Sales Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cooper. If you like what you hear, please check out my website, which is jasoncooper.io, or email me at jcooper at jasoncooper.io if you like this and you like other sort of free stuff to do with sales, sales knowledge, and so on and so forth. Check it out. And if you like this, uh, please give a five-star rating. It'd be very much appreciative. Have a wonderful day.